0: Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Maniker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Shortly after the end of the New York contemporary auction cycle, I sat down with Art News' Dan DeRay and Art Info's Judd Tully to discuss the $1.6 billion in contemporary art that sold. Ed uh this phenomenal week of uh what's a billion and a half worth of just contemporary art sold by three auction houses and four nights it's a terrible blur at this point but i thought we could go back a little and try and pick out what we think is going on Um, including you know maybe we should start with have we reached a top? I mean, everyone's worried about this number being so big, and it's gotten bigger each of the last three seasons. Is this sort of the end of the road, or do we think it could shift gears? I mean, it,
1: it's probably not the end of the road, but it does depend on what material can be dredged up. I mean, every time something sells for a huge amount of money, whoever has something remotely like it will probably contact the auction house or the auction house will be gunning for that already. So you know I mean a good example I think this week was early on where the in that bunny melon sale at Sotheby's where the the two Mark Rothko paintings, one an early ish one from I think one maybe, and the other one was a late one from 1970, and that one is the one that, one of the last paintings he made, Um, quite a bit more than Sotheby's had imagined it would go for.
0: Well, it's a scale issue, but both of those paintings are a more domestic, shall we say, version of a Rothko rather than the massive, uh, what's those, nine, ten foot uh, canvases, And, and almost by projection, everything else would seem much more valuable, including, I mean, I I know that that um, the sort of prized uh, Mellon uh, Rothko, I'm sorry, the Schlumberger Rothko was considered important painting with a. But when you looked at it, it certainly didn't look like a great Rothko uh, any longer. And that was still a phenomenal uh, number. Um, I I guess the absolute numbers weren't bigger. It wasn't a $70 million Rothko becoming a uh, a $90 million Rothko. And except for the Cy Twombly um, uh, blackboard painting, which was remarkably small considering the vast amount of money it uh, went for and the fact that we know there are much larger uh, uh, versions of it, it was hard to pick out anything that rose above the estimate level. Um, especially uh, I was, you know, the two markets that we that have driven the contemporary mar- art market for the last five, w- even to 15 years, have been the Rip- Richter abstract market and the um, Warhol market. There was a lot of both in these sales. They all sell, sold well, but none of them sold in, um, in a surprising or exciting way. It was almost as if great, everyone got out a, a, alive What? Well, that, that may be the real issue that's sort of lurking behind uh, all of this. I mean, I don't know, uh, Dan, you, you saw early on, um, uh, Brett Gorvie uh, suggested that the two uh, uh, Warhols w- could make $150 million or more. And then closer to the sale, they kind of backed it down, and they started talking about 50 and $60 million estimates. Uh, in the end, they probably made uh, their their uh, 150 million or clo- close uh, uh, to it. But you know, those were the top works, and yet they didn't feel like they were um, new territory work.
2: No, no, not at all. I mean that that's why earlier when we were talking about you know it, things bottoming out, you know, with with in terms of guarantees and in terms of you know having to have you know the bare minimum being so high, you know, I've I've often asked myself, you know, what things will Look like it when they do bottom out. I mean, because I mean, they're not going to look like a bunch of a string of failures. They're not going to look like ridiculous things going for ridiculously low prices. You know, it, is this what it looks like? I, probably not, but but you know that's an idea to entertain. Uh, it seems like things are just, yeah, so calculate if it's not if it's not a bunch of bidders and if it's not going, as you said, for so much higher than the estimate, I don't really know. I don't know, can we count that as success, all things being relative?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. The day sales were were fairly strong. Mm -hmm. Sotheby's had a very strong day day sale. Um, Christie's, the numbers were strong, though I don't necessarily feel like people were coming out of the day sales saying the work was great or that there were big surprises there. And so, you know, we talk about the top of the market all the time, but it certainly seems like the bottom of the market Oh, I'm sorry, bottom. We're still talking mi- million dollar, multi-hundred thousand dollar paintings. The, the middle of the market seems fairly strong. Even, you know, um, I think you both identified that uh, in the Warhol market, the Magrabis were buying and bidding not in the center, certainly not at the top, but around the edges. There was that Mona Lisa that had a bidding war at the end of Christie's, and there was um, a couple of diamond dust shoes that seemed to go uh, uh, fairly well, and I think one of your, the Magrabis actually bought one of the uh, works.
1: The diamond dust, yeah, one. I mean, Dan approaches that same area that it's possible asking again about you know is this the top of the market and the same question like you say has been coming up now season after season but there there is a point where collectors especially new ones super rich ones they've accumulated the top pieces that they really need that they really wanted to make sure that they had you know the bacon the Richter whatever across the board and then once they get there, that urgency dips. And I've heard this described uh, by some of the um, uh, Russian or CIS type collectors, oligarchs, etc., who were really driving aspects of the market at a certain point. And now they've, you know, they've they've got their stuff. So they would only come back if something really amazing popped up and.
0: Well, if the Warhol market is any indication, they certainly seem to have gotten the pictures that they wanted. I mean, uh, these the Marlin and uh, Elvis did well, but didn't do spectacularly. And judging from the Liz's that have sold recently, they're still selling pretty much at prices similar to what they sold for before the crash in 2007. And on the end, other end of the spectrum, as Dan points out, there's no real heat on the young emerging artists. Uh, everyone seems to have bought their Lucian Smith. But you just wonder <clears throat> if
1: you know last season when Lucian Smith was, you know, you have to, you know, you have to buy a Lucian Smith. Or maybe it was the season before, and you know, barely a year later, it's kind of flat. You know, what's it going to be like? in two years or five years I mean it
0: well that's I mean uh, again it, it feels like those things have not so much hit a wall of not selling but hit a, 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 a that they now sell within the estimate range it's no longer either the manufactured uh, low estimate and, and bidding more. Uh, it's just this feeling like that that's not where the excitement uh, lies and in fact uh, I mean I agree with you, all these names we've been uh, presented with, with as names to watch and that have been the subject of all the hand-wringing about flipping, they're at least still selling, uh, except for the, um, the Lucian Smith but they're not selling in a way that would bring someone else uh, out to sell the next one. to be, I mean, this is not that different from when spot, uh, Damien Hirst's spot paintings used to come up, and the, there was a mystery about how many of them existed, what format. There was a lot of folklore about about them, uh, and they would get snapped up based on their size and you know the, uh, their appeal. Uh, this is a much you know smaller. Uh, a register uh, version of that, but it certainly doesn't feel like it has much energy. And at least with um, Hearst, that was ended by the combination of the uh, big Hearst sale and the financial crisis. I mean, I guess that's, what's interesting about this moment is, you know, we may have another financial crisis. Who, who knows? But the last time everything stopped, not because of the market intrinsically, um, you know, cycling down, uh, which would be a sign of health, but because we hit this wall uh, of um, the financial crisis. And then you had those November sales with all those guaranteed lots. Uh, that that sort of. When you bad. were
1: mentioning about, you know, the Liz not. Really catching fire at sotheby's it's kind of it was that because it was at sotheby's I mean is there something in that sales room that prevents people from you know getting auction fever i mean it's so odd to me that the different the 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 get this increasing you know, it's not even a gap anymore. It's, you know, 343 million evening sale versus uh, Christie's 858 or 853 million. I mean, that between two arch rivals, it's kind of staggering. I mean, and, and just wonder, like, you know, what are they thinking?
0: Well, see, I think, I think what happened uh, for Sotheby's was that they, they had a very good sale. But the perception, because they were fighting their own estimates, was that it wasn't a strong sale. Uh, A perfect example is that guaranteed Ryman they had, which sold for a record price for Ryman, just not within the estimate range that they had uh, set up, and one presumes what they had guaranteed uh, the painting for. And and everyone had Rymans uh, this week,
1: and that was the best one by far, by far. And it did, you know, it the one at Christie's was kind of. I mean, it was okay, or probably better than okay. And that made a a much, relatively speaking, very strong price for what it was.
0: And, and and so so oddly, we don't walk away with the impression that the Ryman market is on fire, but if you just lined up the n- numbers, it, it obviously is. And we don't give um, Sotheby's credit for having made a great sale because we presume that they subsidized it. We don't know how much Christie subsidized uh, theirs for, if at all. I can't remember if it was uh, guaranteed uh, uh, or not. It's also, real or not, the sense that the uh guarantees work at christies but they don't they're almost subsidies uh at 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 sotheby's and that may just be uh an unfair perception but that seems to be the the perception uh of- No but it's you know <laughs> they're just it's such a it's like they're just And we and we all like that narrative though too while we're, <laughs> <while> we're, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're poo pooing. I feel like the narrative would be better if it were less one-sided. It, it, it wasn't always this way. It used to be uh, who's gonna be up this season uh, um, kind of feeling to, to it. And a lot of it was very tactical, who, who would get to the right people with the right works uh, uh, first. And then something shifted uh, in the last few years and then it's almost been sort of capitulation. Uh, and, and we've watched uh, Christie's do numbers 690, 740, now 850 that nobody ever thought uh, uh, could be possible. Um, but, but Chrissy's sales feel very skewed towards the top end. Their day sales don't uh, uh, look or feel that fantastic. And then the Sotheby's day sale looks like it has a lot of great stuff and there was a lot of great buying uh, going on uh, there. Look, here's, here's something I give them credit for. The Chamberlain retrospective happened, and everyone thought that market would take off, and it uh, didn't. And then they sold the, uh, Sotheby sold the Dia Chamberlains, which did quite nicely. And then they had two or three Chamberlains uh, uh, th- this week. Yeah,
1: Mr. Moto, and yeah.
0: And the black one and the bouquet. I mean, again, these aren't—you know—they're not going to make the papers because they're—it's not a big name and they're not huge numbers. But in the old art market that we used to talk about, where it was just seeing something sell and everyone having that sort of mutual recognition, oh, there are a lot of bidders uh, on this world. You
1: know the difference. I mean, the day sales. I mean, that's really a more still more of a trade, the trade, and so it's a different. Much more professional in a sense, and it it's it's like a different composite of people. The evening sales now are so you know just like billionaires' row
0: well it is it's funny it's like the trade itself is no longer involved you know in the evening sales because they're just either there as representatives. In, in a few of the you know, very top players, you know, the Namads, the Mugrabis maybe, you know, we don't know if Gagosian is buying when he buys the Ruscha, is buying it uh, because he represents Ruscha or because he's just buying for uh, a, a collector. We presume the latter, but it, you know, it, it could be anything uh, there. But th- there is a sense that th- it, it, that's become direct to consumer. It's become a retail uh, uh sale and that the day sales are now forming up where people are looking uh, uh for stock well there are two i wanted to ask you about because you, you uh you had the numbers on the lichtensteins and i thought it was very interesting that we saw some lichtensteins that had essentially been uh, flipped you know within five years or so, so something for dramatically larger numbers i mean i know we've had some big uh, girls get sold in the meantime but it doesn't feel like someone needed to discover Roy Lichtenstein all of a su- sudden. Do you, you have any thoughts on why? I think it was the prom one was the one that that went from like 8 to 20 or so, so I mean, something. I don't you know, I really
2: don't, and then but then of course the 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 kids bought in. I mean,
1: but it's interesting though you mentioned the prom and Lichtenstein and I think in part with that market because up until fairly recently, it would only be a true, you know, one of those sort of action, comic, war, you know, torpedo loss type images that would bring a seven figure price. And those things are, don't come up, in, I mean, they haven't come up in a long time. And now that these other parts of his very long career are coming in bigger prices. But it was interesting that. The prom, which was a, was not a m wasn't a sixties work, it was sort of a reprise. And they had the same with the John's uh flag at at Sotheby's, which wasn't it was from nineteen eighty
0: three or something like that, and yet the prices were huge. And, and- and it's so funny because we speculated before both of those sales that somehow they would be hurt by being late examples or only for a global audience because they'd be recognizable but not a, a connoisseur's picture with the right dates and all. And it, it's almost as if it's the other way around because they're very recognizable, people are willing to take a late date if they need that example, especially if it's an institution. Well,
2: and, I, and in that vein too, I was going to say the most the most Liechtenstein-y Looking work that came up, I think this season was uh, actually Stur- the Sturtevant,
1: which did really well. Yeah. And that that goes against Brett Gorvy's masterpiece, you know, market theory that, you know, you know, well, you're never going to get a '60s Liechtenstein. So, and and the Sturdevant last night at at Phillips of the, of you know Frank Stella's most one of his most famous paintings. I mean. It, of, you kind of start to think. Well, then, will the next phase be? They'll just have literally they bring that Chinese guy back from hiding, who did all the fantastic abex works, and just start cranking out uh, works for you know just because you want it on the wall. That question about you know where the market is, et cetera, is it you know can it go higher? It's so cooked in terms of these guarantees and these different levels of guarantees that no one's willing to take a the risk to really see where the market actually stands because it's all been sewed up before the sales and or maybe you know one or two examples just at a very high level would go without any estimate i mean without any uh, backing
0: do you feel like that that's because like the high uh, estimates, everyone sort of feels like if you know it's guaranteed and it's got a big number on it, then if you're chasing it, you're sort of almost by definition the sucker. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, if you know, these people who are buying them, if they even look at those symbols in the catalogs, or even understand, or as David Nash pointed out to me, he said, do you think you know, somebody in Malaysia is reading the small print at the back of the catalog to explain what a third party guarantee is. I mean, and and I think that's, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm sure their advisors aren't.
0: If they're worth a couple hundred million dollars, they probably have uh, an office full of advisors, some smart uh, uh, people who are well educated or, or are working through someone who would have told them, you know, you can get something like that privately. I mean, I, I agree with you about the guarantees. I think what's sort of fascinating about the guarantees is, it's almost, how much is enough for the auction houses? Would, would they really rather uh, have bigger and bigger sales and have greater risk with the guarantees, I suppose potentially greater reward too, or would they rather ta- not have the guarantees and be happy with, instead of $850 million, a still spectacular $450 million uh, uh, a sale?
1: Some, some- Someone will uh, start a new auction house and have like no guarantees. You know, just completely transparent, like back in the day of James Christie. You know.
0: Well, do you think the do you think the bidders do the the buyers want that? That's what I can't tell. Uh, they, they, no one likes the guarantees, but also they're not going anywhere else. I don't
1: think, think they care really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, some people some people do, but I think it's more more about you know I want that artwork.
0: This season, the, the auction houses were doing you a favor, right? You know, you, a lot of people bought a work for uh, subsidized by the auction house because the guarantee was much higher than what they paid. So they've got to be ecstatic.
2: Well, I, I thought what was interesting last night too was, and not that not that is really a part of what we're discussing, but but uh, uh, they, they read off these, uh, you, you, you heard me ask Ed Dolman about this, right? They read off this, these lists of Lots at the beginning of the sale, and they said there's an outside interest in them, like these ones. But they weren't marked with a circle. But they just read at the beginning mm-hmm. of the auction, this in rapid these, fire, fire, these yeah. lot numbers, like nine and eleven and thirty, and and they didn't have the little circle meaning guarantee. And so afterwards, I asked at Dolman, you know, what does that mean that this outside interest? Just because it means, and he's like, oh, that that just means like a third party guarantee. <laughs> I was like, so it's it's pretty much, but but the circle also means the third parties might be involved in that too.
1: But Could only be, uh, and I. You know, Bill De Blasio suddenly, someone put a bug in his ear, and you know, hired some fiery consumer affairs person to investigate.
0: Dan, thank you for doing this. Happy to be here. This was great. <laughs> Judd, uh, as always, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com.